Hey, Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad. My name is Ashley. And I'm Ricky. And we're here to talk true crime. We are. But before we do, we just have a few things. We have new patrons this week. We have Donna, Marianne, Jennifer, Lee, Amy, and Irma. Thank you all so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Enjoy the ad-free listens. And we actually have a new website at crimesaladpod.com because our old website was stolen. Yeah, so don't go to crimesalad.com. It's crimesaladpod.com. Right. And there you can order merch, listen to episodes, submit a case, um, learn a little bit about us. So definitely check it out. It's pretty cool. Also, remember, this is part two of a one and two series. So if you haven't listened to part one, do that now. Pause now and go back to part one because you don't want to miss out on any of the details that we talk about in the first part. All right, let's go. So where we left off last week, Nancy's body was found and everyone immediately turned their heads to the husband, Brad. With the divorce plans ahead and Brad's control that we will talk more about in this episode, it was a question of, well, who else would have done this? They all believed Brad was capable of harming her, and at this point, they all feared he could do the same to his own children. While Gary and Donna Rents waited for the police to bring them justice for the murder of their daughter, Nancy Cooper, They knew they had to put aside their grief for the time being and focus on Nancy's children. They realized Brad was capable of great violence, and they felt Nancy's children could be at risk of deadly harm. When Nancy's sister, Krista, first arrived with her parents to North Carolina, she learned that her two nieces were with a friend of Brad's who was 30 minutes away. She went right over to visit the girls, and Katie immediately rushed into her arms and called her mummy. Throughout the visit, both children clung onto Krista, who had their mother's same face, being that they were twins, and brought the girls comfort. They didn't want to let her go. A few minutes after Krista arrived, Brad shows up and demanded that the kids leave with him. Krista begged Brad to bring the children to her hotel to be cared for by family while they all looked for Nancy. And Brad refused and took the kids kicking and screaming to his car. And at that point, with Nancy's fate unknown, they had no legal standing to try to take custody of Bella and Katie. But once Nancy's body had been found, that all changed. Nancy's family asked Brad if they could take the children back to Canada temporarily while he dealt with the investigation into Nancy's death. And they made this overture without any judgment or accusations, only addressing what was best for the children and what Nancy would have wanted. Again, he denied their request and said he needed the children around to distract himself from everything going on. I wonder what he meant by that. Months before this all happened, Nancy's father had given her $7,500 to retain a divorce attorney and negotiate a separation agreement with Brad. It was Nancy's divorce attorney, Alice Stubbs, who they turned to now. They discovered that it was that separation agreement that prompted Brad to take the children's passports and demanded that Nancy agree to work on the marriage. 
And they also discovered that Brad had offered to rent Nancy an apartment and hire her as their children's nanny during the day in lieu of giving her money. Yes, you heard that right, hire her to take care of her own children. Of course, Nancy declined this offer, just like she declined his other absurd offer, including that each of them take a child and go on their separate ways. At an attempt to protect Nancy's children, Krista and her parents talked to the same attorney, Alice Stubbs, and she gave the rents the bad news that grandparents had no special rights in the state of North Carolina, and because he hadn't been charged with a crime, their battle to gain custody of the children was uphill. And they were told this all while feeling confident that he had something to do with Nancy's disappearance. However, with the help of Nancy's neighbor, her attorney was able to put together a solid petition for custody based on Brad's inability to care for his children. One neighbor said the morning Nancy went missing, she went over to the house and both the children were dirty, hungry and dazed. She said that she didn't think Brad was capable of caring for his kids. Nancy's friend, Clea Morick, wrote a devastating affidavit. In it, she stated that she and Nancy had been friends since March of 2005 and had even vacationed together as a family during the summers. And she stated that Nancy was the primary caregiver to Katie and Bella, and she adored her girls. She said that Nancy had an amazing capacity to make every day special for her daughters. She was the homemaker who did all the cleaning, laundry, cooking, and shopping for the family. She mentioned that Brad was usually busy with work, his MBA program, or training for his Ironman events and barely knew his own children. She went on to say that Brad was an absent parent and partner until the last two months when he began taking an interest in the kids to avoid having to pay Nancy child support. She said that he was socially awkward, he never engaged in conversation with anyone, and avoided the close neighborhood social events until the last night when Nancy disappeared. She said in the almost four years she had known Nancy that she appeared to be a single mom because Brad was either unwilling or unavailable to help with the kids. Then she told a story that would later be confirmed by emails found on Brad's computer between himself and a 23-year-old MBA student named Celine, who he met in Paris. In her affidavit, she said that Brad went to Europe on a business trip for two weeks and never, once, called to check in on his family. He's in a different country, and he didn't even make an effort to simply check in, even though at the time Nancy had just given birth to Katie a few weeks earlier. She also mentioned the affair that Brad had with their friend Heather, which lasted over a year after Bella was born. In Clea's sworn affidavit, she said that once Nancy became aware of the affair with Heather, Brad said that she was a terrible person for wanting to believe such blatant lies. He would also yell at her and berate her in front of their children. Clea stated, quote, After a year of lies and aggressive heated arguments over the affair, Brad admitted it had occurred and that he had been in love with Heather. This was the final slap in the face for Nancy. She had been ridiculed, verbally badgered, and humiliated again and again by Brad, end quote. She stated that one time, Nancy had been contacted by a woman who said she had a sexual relationship with Brad from his MBA class. And when Nancy was ready to leave him, she would testify on Nancy's behalf. She insinuated that Brad also had an affair with his boss's wife. 
In Clea's affidavit, she also gave reasons why Brad's family wouldn't be suitable to care for Nancy's children. They disliked her and treated her with disdain. Brad's mother, Carol Cooper, had told Nancy she was a terrible mother and was lucky to have Brad as her children's father. She told Nancy she did everything wrong and shouldn't have access to her grandchildren. She was verbally abusive to Nancy, and Brad did nothing to defend her. While Brad's parents were out visiting, they wanted to take Bella and Katie to the zoo and didn't want Nancy to attend. They felt like the kids were clingy and unhappy around Nancy. Nancy agreed to let them go, as long as Brad checked in with her every now and then on how the children were doing, and also agreed that they would meet up after the zoo for dinner. Brad agreed, but he never called, and came home only after they had all eaten without her. What a horrible situation for Nancy. Nancy was devastated and didn't understand why the Coopers hated her so much, while Nancy's own parents loved Brad and treated him like a full member of the family. In April, Krista came into town to help Nancy get the house painted and ready to put on the market so she and Brad could separate. And at the time, Brad was in a hurry for Nancy to leave and asked her to leave before selling the house. He planned for her to leave by April 26th and the neighbors began planning a going away party for Nancy and the kids. Then he suddenly began involving himself more with the children and told Nancy he was filing for full custody since she was an unfit mother. Now this was in Clea's affidavit and she finished it by stating that Nancy had shared that in her will, her and Brad had agreed that if anything happened to both of them, that their children would be adopted by Nancy's twin sister, Krista and Jim Blister. Now, the next affidavit was from Clea's husband, Michael Morwick, and he confirmed what was in his wife's affidavit and added that Brad was rarely in the picture and refused to socialize with the close neighborhood. He too saw Nancy as a single mother and confirmed that it was Brad's idea for Nancy and the girls to live in Canada with her twin sister and brother-in-law. He also confirmed that Brad wanted all three of them gone by April 26th, until a few days before when he changed his mind and demanded full custody. Nancy told both Michael and Clea that she believed Brad only wanted custody to avoid paying her spousal and child support. Another neighbor, Tim Simmons, said that he first met Brad in December 2007, although he had known Nancy a few years longer. He explained a time when he was at an event and the couple's children were misbehaving, which caused Brad to slap Nancy on the leg to indicate she should go tend to their children and adding that he never saw Brad interact with his children. On another occasion, Brad shared his schedule, which consisted of work, his MBA courses, and his training for Ironman triathlon events, noting that his day started at 5 a.m. and ended by midnight. Sounds like he had quite the schedule, but somehow was able to fit in affairs with women and seemed too busy for anything else like his wife and children. And his busy schedule allowed for five hours of sleep per day. The neighbor Tim went on to explain other things that he did, like not allowing Nancy access to any of their finances and taking her phone away. He said once traveling for work, Brad decided to extend his stay another week in Ireland for pleasure. And during this time, while Nancy was at home without any access to money, she had to borrow money from neighbors for food. 
And in order to pay them back, she would have to put on garage sales. Tim's wife, Michelle, also gave an affidavit. And in her declaration, she stated that she and Nancy were close friends, and on one occasion, she heard Brad tell Nancy he hated her, which prompted their daughter Bella to cry and ask, why does daddy hate you? She explained a time while Nancy and the girls were at her house, and she heard Brad screaming at Nancy on the phone, demanding she come home. He sounded so angry that Michelle insisted that Nancy keep her phone on her the entire time until she could safely lock herself in her room away from Brad. When Nancy pulled into the driveway, she could hear Brad screaming at her in front of the girls, and when he realized she was on the phone with her friend, he took Nancy's phone from her. Michelle said this was the first time she was afraid for Nancy and begged her to move in with her and her husband until she could go back to Canada. And we know no relationship is perfect. Everyone fights. But it must have sounded pretty bad for her to feel like she should lock herself in a room and move out ASAP. Two months before Michelle disappeared, Brad demanded he take Bella to preschool despite never having been there before and never meeting Bella's teachers. Brad took a screaming and crying Bella from Nancy's arms. Michelle also confirmed that Brad had never even attended any of his children's birthday parties. Michelle confirmed that when Nancy first wanted a divorce, Brad said he wanted to spend some time with the kids over the summer and then never see any of them ever again. Then when he realized he would have to pay child support, he demanded that they each take one child and nullify the child support debt to each other. Michelle Simmons also confirmed that Brad wanted Nancy and the girls out of the house by April 26th when the house went on the market. Then he changed his mind and wanted her to leave immediately, only to change his mind again and take the passports preventing her from going. This is now the third person that stated the same demand from Brad in an affidavit. From her affidavit, we learned that Brad had his own website called theadventuresofbrad.com. And on it, he only had photos and blog posts of his own accomplishments, travels, Ironman competitions, and future plans. Nowhere on the website was there any mention of his wife or children. I did question why he didn't just post his accomplishments on social media, but just to remind you, this was in 2008 when Facebook was just starting to become a popular social media platform. But I mean, there was still MySpace. Anyway, no one wants to go to your website, Brad. Nancy's friend Desiree Jackson said that while Brad professed to give Nancy $300 a week for an allowance, that was rarely true. Often he would give her $50 and tell her to make it work. And as a result, Nancy and the children would often eat at the home of friends. Nancy also had Crohn's disease, which restricted and limited the things that she could eat. And a few times she wound up in the ER because she couldn't afford the kinds of foods that she needed and instead focused on feeding her children. What a selfless person. She deserved so much more. She also added that Brad took away Nancy's cell phone, which could have been dangerous if she were to have an accident with her children and have no way to call for help. I couldn't imagine as an adult someone taking away my cell phone as punishment. She stated that in order to purchase food, Nancy began selling off her personal items and painting for neighbors to have access to some cash. 
This incensed Brad, who would withhold money if he found out that she had earned money somewhere else. She stated that Brad didn't know how to bathe his children or put them in bed and never attended any of Bella's school or dance functions. She also noted that Brad didn't attend most of the press conferences about his wife, didn't attend her missing candlelight vigil, and didn't attend either of the two memorial services for Nancy. Is this guy not so irritating to you? Most of Nancy's friends gave the impression that Brad wasn't an involved or interested parent. In fact, he was abusive to their mother, often in front of them, and he exhibited short patience with them. And they all feared for the safety of the girls if Brad were given custody. And because of this, the court granted the Rents family's emergency petition for custody and allowed them to take the girls back to Canada for Nancy's family second memorial service. It was on the way to this memorial service that they finally told the girls that Nancy wasn't coming home. They said that she had been lost and then she had been found, but the doctors couldn't make her well and now she lived with the angels. Four-year-old Bella understood that her mother wasn't coming home, but two-year-old Katie seemed to believe that Krista, Nancy's twin sister, was her mommy. Now, the custody orders were temporary, and there was a hearing for final custody a few months later in October. Nancy's family prayed and prayed that before that happened, Brad would be charged for her murder. And during that time, Brad's attorney continued to say he was cooperating, However, that wasn't exactly true. He did speak to police up until the day they notified him that Nancy's body was found, and then he didn't speak again, not even to inquire about how the investigation was going. Because the custody order was only temporary, Brad had no other choice except to publicly disapprove of all the affidavits signed by the neighbors. They had been made public record when they were attached to the emergency custody petition as exhibits. It was his word against theirs. And as a result, Brad's attorney filed a motion to strike all of the allegations in which he called them the conspiracy theories from the, quote, carry click, end quote. But why on earth would his neighbors make up so many specific details all kind of relating to each other? Maybe it's not proven evidence that he did murder his wife, but sure doesn't cross Brad off on the suspect list. And just the fact that he didn't show up for anything relating to his wife's disappearance just goes to show he didn't care. His attorney included the comment that the statements have been designed to create the perception that Brad was responsible for Nancy Cooper's death without any factual basis. But the case had already garnered international attention and public perception was against Brad. So there really wasn't much that could be done with statements from Nancy's neighbors, although it still wasn't a good look for Brad. However, some of the best evidence against Brad happened right after Nancy's body was identified and police served a search warrant on their home. Nancy had recently switched running shoe brands from Asics to Saucony's shoes. So if Nancy was allegedly jogging at the time of her murder and was only found with a running bra, one of her pairs of shoes should be missing, right? Yet both pairs of running shoes were found in Nancy's closet and there were no open spaces or dust rings indicating a missing third pair. 
In fact, Brad even agreed she only had an old pair and a new pair of running shoes and had no explanation for how she went jogging without any athletic footwear. I mean, she could have been trying something new like running barefoot, but like, really? I doubt it. And then Nancy was also known to run with her keys in her hands, according to her friends, because she didn't want Brad to have access to her personal papers and divorce documents that she kept in her car. Yet those were found on the entryway table with her BlackBerry cell phone and her wallet. So she went jogging with no shoes, keys, phone, or wallet. It just doesn't seem likely. Later, Brad's co-workers would testify Brad had an ongoing affair with a 23-year-old student in Paris. While in Paris, he took off his wedding ring and the two held hands, and Brad contemplated learning French and relocating to France. In written love letters, the two discussed Brad getting her a job at the Cisco offices in France and then moving in together. Nancy's friends confirmed that when he came back from France, he had a different personality entirely. He had bought a guitar and constantly listened to French-language CDs. He also created a telephone number through his expertise in voiceover internet protocols, where Celine could reach him by dialing a local Paris number. They ended all of their emails with the word kisses in French. Isn't that sweet? But this wasn't a romantic French love story. He was doing all of this in the same home as his wife and children, busy with work and other things that were more important. The search warrant also specifically sought all electronic devices, including computers from the Cooper home. They were specifically interested in the call history on Brad's cell phone and proved that Nancy called him in the morning that she allegedly disappeared. And then he originally told them that he didn't know how his phone history worked, which honestly is absurd considering his specialty was voiceover internet technology, and he was one of 152 people in the world with that expertise. He was also the lead alpha engineer of those 152 people. Really, with this statement, he's not fooling anyone. Police also discovered that Brad had the technical expertise to automate a phone call from his home phone line to call his cell phone at a certain time. They also learned that it would require a very expensive router to make that call, and Cisco had two of them in their inventory. And then get this, it turns out Brad checked out one of those two routers in January of 2008, seven months before Nancy disappeared. Quite the technological savvy. The router wasn't found at his house, but it was also never returned back to Cisco's inventory. Also, there was a dust ring highlighting a missing piece of computer equipment in Brad's home office. And when Brad finally produced his call history, it didn't match the phone records. On his phone records, there was a call from Brad's phone at 6.34 a.m. while he was still at home. That call had been erased, and the police believed that this was a test call. There were other calls, too, which Brad erased from his house to his cell phone, all while he was still home, according to the timeline in the store surveillance video. There was an even earlier call at 6.05 from the house to Brad's phone, and that call left a message at his office in Ireland with a voicemail message that said, testing 123 in Brad's voice. That call took place 35 minutes before Nancy allegedly called him from the house, telling him to get juice. Because that's normal. Who doesn't leave voicemail messages to test to make sure the message was left? It's kind of weird. Another red flag was the Cooper's garage. In all of the years that they had lived on that street, Brad had never been able to park a car in his garage. He and Nancy both parked in the driveway. 
The garage was always cluttered with equipment, boxes, and ride-on toys belonging to Bella and Katie. This was confirmed on July 8th by the exterminator Nancy called to spray the house for ants once she returned home from her family vacation in Hilton Head. The exterminator had been treating the Cooper home for two years, and the garage was always a cluttered mess. However, when the police served the search warrant, the garage was spotless, and Brad had been parking in the garage since the 10th when he suddenly cleaned it out. Investigators believed this showed premeditation, as he needed to be able to transfer Nancy's body into the back of his truck unseen. Police believe he timed the dumping of Nancy's body between the two visits to the store. The first time he went to the store, he was wearing jeans, a long-sleeved shirt, and sneakers with a black stripe. That trip took 17 minutes round trip and would have gave him time to dump Nancy's body. There was a closer store just half a mile away, but that store wouldn't take him past where Nancy's body was found. So investigators believe that this is why he chose the further store. The second time that Brad was seen on the store surveillance video, he was wearing the same exact thing, except this time he was wearing open-toed shoes. Police believe this is because where Nancy was found, it was very muddy. The athletic shoes in the first video were never found among Brad's things. Police also seized Brad's work laptop and Nancy's laptop, as well as a home computer. Originally, Brad said he went home and went to bed with the girls, and if you remember in part one, this is when he briefly heard Nancy come home after midnight, but didn't wake up again until around 4 a.m. when Bella woke up, and allegedly he put her on the couch in his office so he could get some work done, so that Nancy and Katie could keep sleeping or whatever. However, Brad's Cisco work computer showed that he logged into his work computer shortly after putting the girls to bed until midnight. He didn't use that computer again until almost 8 a.m. that morning. But the most damning evidence they found on that computer was a search he did earlier in the day on the 11th, a full 12 hours before Nancy was last seen at 1.14 p.m., He typed in his zip code on Google Maps, which was a habit that he had checking the weather reports, but this time he took 41 seconds and zoomed in on a map six times until he enlarged the area on Fielding Drive. This is where Nancy's body was later found. This was the only direct evidence that they had in the entire case against Brad. And unfortunately, police didn't power down Brad's computer when they seized it. So for 15 hours, Brad's computer was still hooked up to Wi-Fi. So now Brad had a reason for that specific zoom on the location where Nancy was found. Brad explained that a hacker must have planned the zoom in on the map where Nancy's body was dumped. Police still didn't feel like they had enough evidence to arrest Brad until he gave a six-hour deposition in the ongoing custody dispute with Nancy's parents. The deposition was a risk because anything he said could be used against him in the criminal proceedings if he were ever charged. During that deposition, he lied and gave some conflicting information. Do you think that Nancy mistreated you during the marriage? I'm, I'm defined mistreatment. I didn't. Well, how, mistreat? Did she did she treat you poorly during the marriage? I'd say there was some actions and some conversations that were probably uncalled for. I'm not too sure I'd classify it as mistreatment. Did you have a good marriage? I'd say we had our ups and downs. 
from January 1, 2008 to July 12, 2008, did you and Nancy have a good marriage? I would say our marriage was more in the downside of things. Where was Nancy's body found? From what I understand, it was in a new division, a new subdivision, um, uh, I guess, east of the home. Do you know what street it was on? Um, I believe the, the report said it was off Fielding Drive. Do you know where that is? I've seen it on a map, yes. Have you ever driven there? No. Um, do you know if it was near anywhere that Nancy ran, any of her typical running routes? As far as I know, I, um, I cannot imagine Nancy running across that road. I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be one of the roads I would think that she'd run on. Do you know where it would be in relation to this map? Um, I guess it'd be over here someplace, I guess. It'd be off the map. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and admit. So is it your testimony, if you can just mark the direction in which it, it would be, her body would be, okay. but if it's not on the map? I, I guess Fielding Drive is over there someplace. <laughs> How do you know that, if you just mark it? Um, because I, I saw a map on one of the news articles. Okay. After you saw, was that a news article that came out after the autopsy or before? Uh, before the autopsy, I guess. Okay. And did you have any interest in seeing where the location was? No. I haven't driven past it. I have no interest in driving past it. Okay. This is significant because the map of the location found on his computer directly contradicts his sworn testimony that the first time he saw the location on a map was in a newspaper article. In Brad's version of Life with Nancy, he was the victim of her outlandish spending habits and her emotional instability. Brad admitted to installing Cisco's proprietary internet and phone technology in his home that told him when Nancy was on the phone and allowed him to intercept her emails. So controlling. And he only admitted this because he knew it would be discovered after a forensic examination of his work computer. However, he said it was with Nancy's knowledge and consent. He also admitted to having the knowledge on how to initiate a remote phone call from his house to his cell, but said it was not something that was normally done. He explained the reason Nancy wanted the divorce was because she intentionally chose to not work on the marriage or get over the affair and rebuild trust. He also said that Nancy, if allowed, would spend more than they had, which he found unfortunate and caused him to take such extreme measures with their budgeting. He admitted that Nancy called him the budget Nazi, but couldn't remember if she had ever told him that she hated him despite several witnesses of her doing so. He said he was generous and tried to indulge her request, but would sometimes say no if they couldn't afford it. Because of Nancy's overspending, he gave her $300 a week, which he believed was more than generous. He said that in 2007, Nancy had put $27,000 on their credit cards, while he only had spent $17,000 on his. 
However, Nancy didn't have cash or access to their bank accounts at the time, so she used credit for everything, including Bella's preschool fees, gasoline, and groceries. He said that he only initially agreed to allow Nancy to move back to Canada when he was planning to move back too. However, he applied for a job at Cisco in their Toronto office and didn't get it. He realized he would miss the girls too much, and that's when he changed his mind and asked Nancy to work on their marriage again. He also said that he was worried about the effects on the kids with Nancy and I separating. Which is eye-rolling because what about the effects of what he was putting them through when they were together? He believed the money Nancy was requesting for child support in the amount of $2,100 seemed excessive and unreasonable, and with the alimony, the amount she was requesting would exceed his take-home pay. And that was his reasoning for taking the girls' passports. As much of a penny-pincher Brad was, he ended up paying more than $12,000 to a psychologist in the custody matter. And no surprise, his psychologist found him to be truthful and a nonviolent person. Brad also stated that he couldn't remember the full names of the women he dated in the past, but gave the name of Jennifer Wilson as the ex right before Nancy. He said that he parted all of his relationships on good terms and there was never any physical or emotional violence. During the deposition, attorney Stubbs had very pointed questions about his cleaning of the garage and car. Brad insisted he cleaned it out on June 28th before Nancy left for Hilton Head with her family. However, the sworn affidavit from the exterminator contradicted this testimony. Nancy left a phone message for her father about the disgusting state of the home when she returned. That message was played and Brad still denied her version of events. He said he had forgotten to take out the garbage, which attracted some ants. When asked about their argument at the neighbors on July 11th, Brad downplayed those events too. He said that when he got to the party, Nancy punished him by putting him on child duty. Brad also said he regularly did laundry, so when he saw the green dress in the laundry hamper, he washed it without any agenda to try and destroy evidence. He said the reason he never reported Nancy missing was because he was too busy looking for her. He said he was surprised to see the police in his driveway when he got home because he still thought Nancy would be coming home. Cell phone records dispute this assertion. The police called Brad twice and both times he immediately listened to their messages. He stated he never called Nancy's parents because he was a wreck and a mess at the time and knew that his neighbors had already called them. Brad's videotaped deposition was released to the press a week later, which prompted his ex-fiancee to get in touch with the Cary Police Department. Her name wasn't Jennifer Wilson, as he testified at his deposition. Her name was actually Jennifer Windsor, which she believed was an intentional lie so she couldn't be contacted. In her statement, she said that she has been in a relationship with Brad from September of 1997 to December of 1998. They lived together and they were briefly engaged. And in her written affidavit, she said, Throughout our relationship, Brad Cooper was emotionally abusive towards me. He constantly belittled me to other people. He frequently berated me about my weight and my physical appearance. 
He would make derogatory comments about me to others, even telling people I looked pregnant when I wasn't. I have never before and have never again been in a relationship with someone who treated me so poorly. He was emotionally detached and mentally cruel. At the end of our relationship, I became fearful for my physical safety. That to me is a pretty intense statement that really reflects what other people said about him. Even after Brad moved out, he would repeatedly stalk Jennifer and break into her apartment, which caused her to break her lease and move. She was the last known woman to date Brad before he met, dated, and married Nancy. But Jennifer wasn't the only person to refute the things that Brad had said during his deposition. Brad had complained that Nancy was irresponsible with money and had bought an $8,000 painting of a bear, which prompted him to cut her off financially. Donna Rents, in her deposition, stated that almost all of the furniture in his house was purchased by her and her husband. She also stated that the expensive piece of art in their house was commissioned and paid for her by her and was a gift to Brad. She also testified that they gave Nancy and Brad $25,000 to help them pay down their credit card debt. And also, who paid for his Ireland trip that he took for pleasure all by himself and the trip to Paris that was supposedly a business trip where he met the young 23-year-old. On October 16, 2008, on the day of the custody hearing, both sides presented their cases on why each were respectively the most stable and loving environment for the children. And the most damning evidence came from an expert witness supporting the Rents family. For those of you who do not know what an expert witness is, it is someone who the judge accepts as an expert in a particular field. Dr. James Hilke was a forensic psychologist, and he had examined Brad and administered multiple personality tests. He testified that, quote, I think Mr. Cooper is a very complex man. He is in a very complex situation, which makes the evaluation challenging. Mr. Cooper presents as someone who is somewhat anxious and somewhat angry. My opinion is that he has a long-standing anger that has been with him for a fair amount of time. When he is confronted with emotional, powerful experiences, he tends to kind of withdraw, end quote. And then on October 22, 2008, Judge Sasser made her ruling granting the custody of the children to Nancy's family. And just a few days later, on October 27, 2008, the Wake County Grand Jury indicted Brad Cooper for the first-degree murder of Nancy Cooper. According to the book Love Lies by Amanda Lamb, Brad's former neighbors all stood outside clapping and cheering as he was arrested and placed into police custody. It took almost three years for Brad to go to trial, which finally happened on March 9, 2011. And the only direct evidence against Brad was the map that he zoomed in on the day before Nancy was murdered. The defense theory was it was either planted by a hacker or by the police. One of Brad's expert witnesses wasn't qualified by the court as an expert after his own testimony that his expertise in the field was limited. Brad's second expert witness wasn't placed on their witnesses list before the trial and was excluded as a rule of evidence issue. The reason behind this was because Brad had several other witnesses on that list that were qualified in the same field. And they believe he didn't call them because they weren't willing to say that the evidence had been planted and Brad had been hacked. 
Brad's other defense strategy is someone else did it. Despite the three affairs that the police uncovered, Brad uncovered that Nancy had an affair their first year of marriage. Her family confirmed this and said it was right after she left Brad and came home to Canada. However, her family encouraged her to end the relationship and make her marriage work. No one ever told Brad she briefly dated someone, and there was another incident with a neighbor, John Pearson. John told police that in 2005, he walked Nancy home from a neighborhood Halloween party while Brad was out of town on a business trip. He said that he and Nancy both got naked, got carried away, and then immediately stopped and vowed to never speak of their encounter again. He couldn't remember if they actually had sexual intercourse or not. Brad believed that both of these men were suspects and the police failed to properly investigate. Brad also had several witnesses who thought they saw Nancy jogging that day and being followed by two men in a van. Another witness said she was listening to music from an iPod and was distracted. The witness believed she was hit by a car and then dumped at the drainage pond on Fielding Avenue. Nancy didn't own an iPod and didn't listen to anything while she jogged. All of these witnesses had been interviewed by police and dismissed. Nancy's family testified that a few days before she was murdered, she sat at the airport sobbing and holding on to them because she didn't want to go back home to Brad. She wanted to go home to Canada, but Brad still had the children's passports. The prosecutors believed that Nancy wasn't the type to back down and had a sharp tongue. She was angry at Brad for how he had been treating her and spending another week without any money. They speculated that Nancy had just humiliated and degraded Brad in front of the neighbors, making him angry and embarrassed. The prosecutor alleged that Brad was planning to kill Nancy for months after he found out how much he would have to pay her in child support. He definitely was closer to executing the plan when he cleaned out the garage so he would be able to load up her body without being seen. They theorized that Brad strangled Nancy as soon as she walked in the door, since that is when his computer time abruptly ended. They thought there was blood or vomit on Nancy's dress, which caused him to wash it. There were numerous witnesses to the fact that Brad had never washed laundry or did any housework. They alleged that Brad and Nancy were barely speaking, and he probably didn't know she had to be at Jessica Adams' house the next morning. They believed that Jessica calling 911 and getting the police involved so early foiled his plans and caused him to make mistakes he didn't have time to cover, like failing to get rid of one of Nancy's pair of running shoes. All of Nancy's friends and neighbors testified, each holding a piece of the puzzle, each documenting a pattern in history of abuse by Brad, each piece of evidence and each witness painted a picture of who was responsible for Nancy's murder. On May 5, 2011, the jury found Brad guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to the mandatory life in prison without the possibility of parole. Immediately following the verdict, Donna Rents approached Brad's mom, Carol Cooper, and said she was sorry that things ended this way, but would love to arrange a time for Brad's family to visit Bella and Katie. She said now that the children had lost two parents, it was important that they all come together and show the children that they are safe and loved. And Carol said she would think about it. 
What no one knew at the time of the verdict was that Krista couldn't have children and Nancy had even talked about acting as a surrogate for her twin sister and her husband, Jim. In a bittersweet turn of events, they were now raising Nancy's two children as their own. After the verdict, Krista stated, quote, I'm quite proud of how Jim and I have come through, have raised and continued on Nancy's legacy with Bella and Katie, end quote. Unfortunately, that is not where this story ends. Brad appealed his conviction based on the exclusion of his two expert witnesses, and he was granted a new trial by the appellate court in 2004. Nancy's family were devastated that they would now have to be put through a second trial and possibly lose custody of Nancy's children to Brad if he were to be acquitted. But with the consent of Nancy's family, but Brad was offered a plea deal of second-degree murder with a sentence of 12 to 15 years in prison with the condition that he relinquish his parental rights to Bella and Katie, which he still was fighting, and allow Krista and Jim Lister to adopt them. What you will hear next is Krista Lister speaking from a clip from the News and Observer. They, they know, they know what happened with, with Nancy, Bella especially, and it destroyed her for many years. And she's, uh, she's gotten over it. She's moved past. Thankfully, I've got an amazing family to help. And, um... They got through it. Does this mean now that their dad's out of their lives forever? Yes. How do you feel about that? It's amazing. It's total relief. He doesn't deserve them. He doesn't deserve to know them. Brad was released from prison in November of 2020 at the age of 47 and deported to Canada. Just a few weeks ago, on July 13, 2022, Nancy's family all gathered together for one more goodbye. Donna Rents, the family's matriarch, passed away after a protracted illness. Her family says she is now reunited with the daughter she was separated from too early in life. If you or anyone you know is a victim of domestic violence, have them call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. We will see you next week. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect.